driving down the road the other day, I noticed that one of my kids' countenance was sour. You guys laughed too. I did not expect that to be a laugh. After probing a bit, the answer came back that there was some trouble at school. With a little more discussion, I discovered that this kid was worn out by the wicked way kids at school were treating each other. Everyone is treating everyone else so bad, was the exclamation. A quick glance at just this week's headlines, and you will find several incidents highlighting that everyone is treating everyone else so bad. Or look at the comment sections of anything online these days, and you will find more examples of venom being spewed. In fact, I I watched a video the other day of a lady surprising her husband with the news that they were going to have a baby. And it was encouraged by the sweetness of how she had fun playing a trick on him and, and, and surprising him with this good news. Then, I foolishly took a look at the comment section. And while there are many comments about the joy of the video and excitement for the couple, there was a running thread of people lashing out at the way the guy laughed. I mean, come on, really? I mean, can we not just enjoy someone else's good without making a negative comment about it? People can be so cruel. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned a recent study that says that more and more people in our country are suffering from some sort of mental illness. And if you put all these examples together of what's happening in people's lives around us, this simply reminds us that people need help. Brothers and sisters, you and I are in a position to help. We can be a city on a hill. We can be light shining in the dark places. Now, it's common in my experience that when we are awakened to a problem and desire to be engaged with helping in that problem, many of us call for a program to be created. It happens in church also. You see a problem and you go to your church leaders saying, you need to do this and create a a program to address this issue that is before us. Now, many times these programs are very useful to help in the situations, but that cannot be where we begin. It cannot be the starting point for a program in and of itself cannot save. Only Jesus can do that. He is the one who redeems, and he is the one who can change us. He is the one who can reform us to be more like him. Our responsibility is to continually fight to listen and be reformed by God's character in our lives. I'm going to take a look this morning at one of those areas. For just a moment, find something that you can jot down a few items. Now for 99% of you, your smartphone will work. If you're 1% that still carries a pen, Mr. Welch, 
use your pen. The rest of you, pull your phones out, find the page section that you can take notes on, and I want you to prepare to write something down. I want you to jot down your closest friends. Who are you going to call in a crisis? That may be one friend, two, three, five, ten. List them off, no particular order. If you've got a bunch, just put their initials. All right, you got that? Next to those names, I want you to make a mark, a check mark or something, of those who have hurt you in any way since you have known them. They've hurt you in any way since you have known them. Now, make another mark next to that name for all of those that you have wronged in some way. You have said something unkind to them, spoken negatively about them to someone else. You have ignored them when they didn't think the same way as you or a host of other ways. You showed selfishness instead of care. I look at your list. Now, this is a guess, but my guess is that every one of those names has two marks next to it. For most of us, that would probably be true. You have been hurt by them, and they have been hurt by you. Jesus' ministry on earth was spent challenging the thinking of men. Smart people who wanted to do the right thing and follow the law of God were many of those people that Jesus challenged with his words. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' answer to the lawyer who asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus' response, Matthew 22, 37, 38 says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. We also looked at 1 John 4, 19, which says, we love because he first loved us. We talked about the fact that loving the Lord God with our heart, soul, and mind should lead us to love the things that the Lord loves. To continue the conversation, Jesus then makes this statement in verse 39 of Matthew 22, and he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as we discussed before, Jesus quoted from the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 for the greatest commandment. This time he quotes from the law in Leviticus 19, found in verse 18, and it says this, there, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself.
Now the natural question becomes, who is my neighbor? In the Leviticus passage, it is clear that the neighbor mentioned was those included in God's family, for it says, the sons of your own people. Now hopefully we all, at least in our heads, understand that we should love people in our own family. The brothers and sisters, even who have trusted Christ, are part of our family and God's kingdom. But Jesus, challenging men, always took it a step further. And in exchange with a lawyer who asked the question, who will inherit eternal life, a familiar passage to many of us, Jesus is recorded in Luke 10, verse 25 to 37, describing who their neighbor is. It's a familiar story, and let's read part of that. Beginning in verse 30, it says, Jesus replied, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus says, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So according to the word, we are to love all people. There is no exception. We are to love the people who are on the list that we just wrote down, and we are to love those who are outside of our immediate circles, even those who are looked at as insignificant, like how the Samaritans were viewed. as we learn to love the Lord with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, because God loved us first, we are able to love others wholly as Jesus commanded. As we talk about loving our neighbors, I like this quote William Barclay stated in his commentary, The Gospel of Matthew. It says, The biblical teaching about man is not that man is a collection of chemical elements. Not that man is part of a brute creation, but that man is made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It is for this reason that man is lovable. The true basis of all democracy is, in fact, the love of God. Take away the love of God and we can become angry at man the unteachable. We can become pessimistic about man the unimprovable. We can become callous to the man the machine minder the basis of love of man is firmly grounded in the love of God, end quote. Loving the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, and mind should lead us to love the things that the Lord loves. And he loves those who bear his image. 
the family member who looks and acts like Cousin Eddie from Griswold's Christmas Vacation bears God's image. The coworker who continually causes trouble in the office bears God's image. The cashier at the local burger joint who cannot get your order right bears God's image. The unruly child with the lackadaisical parents all bear God's image. And the fellow church member who always seems to be taking and not giving is an image bearer of Almighty God. And according to what I see and hear, it would benefit us if we worked to live out being a redeemed community, a community who loves properly. You see, we get an opportunity. We get an opportunity to love each other here as part of God's family so that we can better go out and love those outside of these walls. They will know us by our love. People are in need. In his book entitled Be Friends, Scott Saul says this of love in our culture. In the modern West, where divorce rates are high and people delay marriage longer than ever before, love is often treated as a means to personal fulfillment and little else. As long as there is sexual and relational fulfillment, as long as we continue to enjoy one another's company, as long as our emotional connection comes naturally and we don't have to work for it, as long as we both feel that this relationship benefits us more than it costs us, we will keep going. But as soon as one or more of these things changes, we hit eject. Love is in crisis these days. Whenever as long as we both shall live is replaced with as long as our loving feelings shall last, love ceases to be love. End quote. Mr. Sauls in his book applies this not only to the marriage relationship but to friendships. So how do we love people? Including those that are difficult because the command is to love all. How do we show those outside the church that there is a God who loves them? There are a number of directions about being a friend in scripture, about loving people, and we're this morning going to look at just a few. And the first one I wanna discuss is that we must learn to bear with one another. We must learn to bear with one another. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We must bear one another's burdens with humility. You see, in our flesh, we tend to give up way too quick when relationships get tough. Our cultural is telling us more and more about what that looks like. We can forget that, that we too are only standing up by God's grace and love that is bestowed on us. We can forget that the one who is transgressing is also an image bearer of God and they are one of our brothers and sisters if they know Jesus and it is our duty it is our duty to seek their restoration. 
Now, I know that this text in Galatians is addressing believers in relation to believers, but if Jesus also said, blessed are the peacemakers, if Jesus also said that we should bless those who persecute you, then it would be good for us to also seek the good of those who are not in the redeemed community yet. We should remember that those who are not believers of Jesus do not have the Spirit of God to direct them. And while we should never love wickedness nor ever say that sin is okay, we should love our neighbors by showing mercy and grace and patience. We can be like Jesus who looked at the woman at the well and offered her life instead of condemnation. when we learn to bear one another's burdens, seeking their restoration before the Lord instead of trying to hold power over them by comparing our good works, then we fulfill the love of Christ. When we sit and we bear the foul-mouthed cocky jerk in an effort to show him grace so that his soul will be restored to God through Jesus, we fulfill the law of Christ. We must learn to bear with one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves. In loving our neighbor, we must also continue to learn to serve one another. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11 says, above all, keeping love, keep love, loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Keep loving one another. And Peter says, as you are being gifted, serve one another. Each one of us has been gifted by God and have the opportunity to live out Jesus' command to love others by serving them. This is in the church of Sunday school teachers and greeters and ushers, prayer warriors, people who make food when others are sick, listeners when people need to chat, and much, much, much more. The Lord came near to us And by his love, we have the ability to be present with others and serve them because of his love. In her book, Messy, Beautiful Friendship, Christine Hoover says this, God isn't afraid to enter brokenness, and we shouldn't be either, because all we're really doing is bringing him into the situation anyway. We don't have to have answers. We just have to be present and willing to listen. We can't be afraid that something is too much for him or too big for him or that the answers won't be there. Sometimes the answers really won't be there, but the presence of God is always there. In order to be a faithful friend in adversity, we simply imitate that ministry of presence. End quote. We can offer living water to those around us, whether they are in crisis or not, if we simply commit to serving others more than serving ourselves. Many of you do this very well, week in and week out. Like my friends Darren, Denise, Charles, and Drew who lead Laundry Love, they have regular events where they simply offer to pay for someone's clothes 
to be washed at the laundromat only seeking to have a conversation to show them who Jesus is. A number of you have served at Grace Bridge that we've partnered with, helping them get ready to sell items that will raise money for a food distribution in the hope that people are fed physically, but also in the hope that they will sit down and share the gospel of Jesus with them. And there are many more opportunities. Many of you serve in children and student ministries. You teach in the adult ministries. You serve on the prayer teams. There are so many things that you do to serve others, and it is a privilege to get to watch you do that. It is inspiring to us on the staff to watch you and serve alongside of you, helping love people and help them see that God is good. Keep it up. Keep fighting to serve one another as we learn to love one another better. Living out Jesus' command to love our neighbor requires that we bear with one another, requires that we serve one another, and we must also forgive one another. Colossians 3, the end of verse 12 says, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, weakness, and patience. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You must forgive. One of the biggest hindrances to friendship, the biggest hindrances to loving our neighbor, whether they are close to us or whether they are actually an enemy, is the fear of being hurt. As we pointed out earlier, the people on your friend list, most likely all of them have hurt you. But because of forgiveness, because of God's forgiveness, we don't have to worry about the hurt. We can learn to trust the Lord because he loves us perfectly. And then we can learn to forgive others when they do hurt us. Not only does Jesus command that we love because he loves us, that we forgive because he forgave us, but in loving others, in forgiving others, we are richly blessed because obedience always brings blessing. Again, I like how Mrs. Hoover addresses this issue of facing hurts. She says, facing hurts in friendship and handling conflict biblically can actually grow us in Christ-likeness and solidify and deepen our friendships. She says, my friend Susan said this to me once and I've always remembered it, it's not a friendship until you hit a rough spot and you have to work through it together. Ms. Hoverton says, I tend to agree with her and have experienced this firsthand. I value those women who care enough about our friendship to directly address me with their hurts and are willing to listen to mine. That is not to say it's easier without hand-wringing, but handling hurts biblically always stokes the warm fire of friendship. End quote. Handling hurts biblically always stokes the warm fire of friendship. Some of you remember Pastor Jeremy Meyer. He served with us here at Frisco Bible for a number of years. Jeremy and I are very good friends. 
And one of the reasons why we are good friends is because we had to work at forgiving each other. We clashed all the time. We had different ideas about what to do and why to do it. And sometimes that led to hurting one another. Misspeaking, not listening. And we had to work very hard to forgive one another when we caused each other pain. Learning to forgive the sins of each other brought us closer and closer together as brothers and allowed us to love one another better and better and better. Forgiving others is key to loving others. And when you learn to bear with others, when you learn to serve others, when you learn to forgive others like Christ has forgiven you, then you will get to experience the richness of being part of the redeemed community. After telling them to forgive one another, Paul continues his thought to the Colossians, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3, and he says, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I have learned through my life to love better and better. I haven't always gotten it right, and I still don't always get it right. In fact, partly because naturally in my flesh, I don't like people. But God. But God. He has redeemed my soul from the pit of hell, and he has put on me a commitment to love him with everything I got, my heart and my soul and my mind, and he's put on me to love my neighbor as myself, and I work very hard to develop rich friendships in the Lord. And it's messy sometimes. but the joy of the Lord overcomes all of that. And I have been able to enjoy people in my life who teach me, who admonish me, and help me sing praises to the Lord no matter what circumstance. Last year, I got to take a hike. I just turned 40, and I wanted to do something that would challenge me physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and so I decided to hike Long's Peak in Colorado. It stands at 14,255 feet, and there were lots of moments that I felt like I bit off more than I could chew. In the end, eight guys attempted the hike with me. Three of us made it to the summit, and it was a sight to behold. A great feeling of accomplishment. But the trip was more than just a hike to me. I wanted to spend time with some guys whom I love deeply, who inspire me to be a godly man, who inspire me to love my wife better, who help me see what it means to be a loving father and a, dis a discipling father, men who help me love my church better, men who help me love my community better. 
and they went above and beyond, and we got to share in some rich time of prayer and devotion together, and one of those guys that got to show up was Pastor Jeremy Meyer. And he got on the mountain as we hiked in three miles. He got to share the devotional that the Lord put on his heart from the Psalms and reminded us, reminded me that we should take a look at everything that we're seeing in God's creation as we're walking through this trail and up this mountain and enjoy God and worship him with everything that we have. Because of a commitment to the Lord and a commitment to friendship, to loving people, I got to experience the rich blessing of somebody loving me back and admonishing me and teaching me and helping me see that God is good. These men stirred me up to love in good works. They lived out Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love in good works. Loving our Lord and loving our neighbors by bearing with them, serving them, and forgiving them allows us to stir them up to love and good works. We have an opportunity to be useful in changing people's lives simply by loving them. I like how William Barclay stated this in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. To be truly religious is to love God and to love the men whom God made in his image, and to love God and man not with nebulous sentimentality, but with that total commitment which issues devotion to God and practical service to men, end quote. Take a look at that list of people that you wrote down before. My first question to you is, when's the last time you thank God for them? When's the last time you thank God for them in your life? And if you haven't recently, then do it. Next question is, how are you loving them well? Most famous passage on love is 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's the love of God for you. Are you displaying that to those people on your list? Are you acting this out and living this out in the community that you've been placed in? And now think about that coworker who is trouble. The guy that lives on your street that you just can't figure out how to get along with. Or the barista who can't remember how to make your favorite drink. Are you loving them the way the word tells us to love people? In response to God's love, 
we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We get to enjoy a redeemed community if we will simply learn to do these things and set others above ourselves. And when we do that, we will be better equipped to go outside and love those in need. People are hurting. It may be you. Fall at the feet of Jesus and learn to love him because he first loved you and then seek to love other people and learn to receive the blessing of God's community. Let's pray. Almighty God, it is because of your work, because you came down to us to be near to us that we have life. And we thank you for your son, for his work on the cross, and for his defeat of death so that we can trust him and trust him only for our salvation. Father, I pray that you will help us learn to love you with everything that we've got, that you will help us to love each other by bearing with one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, and seeking their good. Father, I pray as we take the offering this morning that you will take every penny and help us use it to do just that, that you would help us use it to to live as a community of those who have been bought with a price. God, to live as a community who is dedicated to loving each other and loving those outside of our doors to help them see that you are their only hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.